Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> how our parents treat us usually comes from how they were treated. Good, bad, or indifferent from generation to generation, it continues. Today is a rebroadcast with Vibes by Alicia podcast. We did a collaboration after we met at a Pod Houston Podfest event. And I wanted to get my daddy's reaction. This episode is just two daddy's girls bonding over our daddies. Alicia, welcome. Hey there, my fabulous listeners. I am so excited to bring to you a very, very cool episode today. And we're actually doing a collab. And Rena Friedman Watts is here. Hey, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. This is my first in-person recording in Houston. Really? Oh, in Houston. Right, right, right. So tell me, where are you coming from? Just moved here from Chicago. From Chicago. So you're going to look forward to our winters then. Oh, I'm thinking because there's not anything like Chicago. I'm loving the weather. I don't even mind the heat. Really? Okay. Were you here in August and July, June? Yes. Oh my God. Because it was a little hotter than usual. It was intense. Yeah. Yeah. This year was definitely much, much hotter. I don't know. But you know what? The reason why I'm so excited that we're here together and we're collaborating and we're chatting it up is because we found a commonality when we met last week at the Pod Houston event. Podfest was the event and they brought in some speakers from, I guess, from all over the country to tell us a little bit about podcasting and how to do promotions, how to do some marketing. I learned a lot by the way, did you? Yes. And not only did we connect, but I connected with a guest that I had interviewed on my show, but never met in person. Oh, really? He was out here doing some real estate deals, Scott Carson, shout out. And I got to meet him and his wife in person. So that was so much fun. The event I felt like was family. Yeah. I feel it like felt good. Yeah, it was such a good vibe. And I connected with a lot of people after the event as well. Yes, yes, I did too. I wish I would have met Scott because my husband and I, it's what we do on the site is we do properties. We do investment properties. So I would have loved to know how he's doing it and how he's presenting it on his podcast as well. Because I have a few episodes, but it's not quite like a full show. Would be interesting to know. Scott Carson. Going to definitely connect you. Serena, you and I communicated and we talked a little bit. And I think the one connection that we really made was that our dads are our heroes. You mentioned to me the name of your podcast. Better Call Daddy. (laughs) Better Call Daddy. I love that. It's such a great name. And I was like, oh, you do a podcast with your dad? And you said, yes. He comes in and he does his opinions on things, right? Yes. Tell, tell everybody about that. Yeah. So I interview guests. I share the stories with my dad. And then he 
he either reacts to their story or the guest can ask my dad a question of mm-hmm. a struggle that they're facing or mm-hmm. just a question that they have about life. He gives advice on anything, basically. It doesn't have to be like a specific topic. Any question you can ask him. Yes. And the best part is like, I never know what he's going to say. So that keeps it fun. Like a lot of times he surprises me with his answers. Really? Like you thought he would say one thing and he said something else. <laughs> That's cute. How old is your dad? Oh my gosh. You're totally putting on the spot. I think he is 65 or 66. He had really? me. Okay, here, I'll do the math. I'm 43 and he had me when he was, he's 66. 66. He had me young. Yeah. yeah very young. I think my dad is 74. He's young too. Yeah. Yeah. He's young and he's actually pretty healthy. Goodness. I know. So grateful for that because my mom's the one that's always sick. So thankfully I don't have to worry too much about him and he takes care of her a lot. So that's important for me. Admirable. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll call over there and I'll say, how's mom doing? And he's like, she's great. She's doing amazing. And the next day my sister will call me and she'll say, you know, mom's not doing well. I said, what? Dad said she was fine. And she's like, you know, they don't want to tell me. Mom doesn't want to tell you because she doesn't want to worry you. So she tells dad to hide it from you and not say anything because they don't want you to come over here and like be worried about them. And so I call my dad. I'm like, what? Why are you telling me that she's okay and she's not? He's like, well, she made me promise not to say anything to you. And I don't want to, you know, get in trouble with her. I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, daddy, you got to tell me. You got to tell me when she's not doing good because then I'll figure out she's been sick for a while and then I have to take her to the emergency room. And I tell him, you know, I said, Daddy, tell me when something's not going right because he tries to keep me from, like, worrying and not being upset or not, like, you know, you know, getting too caught up on them. But, you know, it's better for me to know. I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. Yes. So do you carry on a lot of those responsibilities on yourself like I do? That's a great question. Like like their health care? Thank goodness right now, both of my parents, I feel like, are still able to manage their health care. But I watch my dad, who has taken care of his parents, and I'm like, dad, like, I feel like that's a conversation we need to have. Mm -hmm. There are parents who, when they start to get old and can't take care of themselves, they're like, sign me up for the nursing home. And there are parents that are like, you better take me into your own home. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these situations happen very quickly. They do. And you haven't had that conversation at all. I mean, I've seen it happen with friends where they're selling off their parents' houses or mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. having to stop working to go take care of a parent. And I feel like it's a really important conversation to have that I haven't had enough, to be you honest. To. You definitely need to. Like, we just finished their trust because... You know, there's four kids, and so my parents are like, we don't want to leave any problems behind. And so it is a conversation that needs to be had. It's a tough conversation to have because nobody wants to talk about death and sickness and that kind of thing. Everybody wants to hope for the best, but, you know, realistically, things happen. Better to be prepared. Not even just the death factor, but does one kid need something more than the other? Mm-hmm. And are things going to be divided equally? Mm-hmm. And even if you think they're going to be divided equally, like what's really going to happen after? Right. So the more of that that you can hash out beforehand, yeah. it is such a hard it's, conversation. It is. It is. And it's important. And, you know, the one thing that I do give my parents a lot of credit on is if they've had those conversations with all four of us for a while now. And like when they pass, like they want to be cremated. They don't want prayers. They don't want church you know, the different things that they've already decided. And all four of us know what their needs are and what their requests are. So then 
we don't have any surprises at the end. And one of us says, oh, no, I don't think we should do that. Like, it's clear. So I think parents should have those conversations with their kids for sure, especially when they're older. They're both in their 70s. But anyway, so my dad, why is my dad my hero? And I was telling you that day I met you, oh, I wrote a book. And I wrote my book in 2014, which has been a while now. And I wrote it, and he wrote it with me because we kind of went together on it. Yeah, yeah. He'll tell people he's the author. And he's so funny. That's him back there. And I'll just say, yeah, 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 he's the author. But it's a little handbook, to be honest, because I was a teacher for a very long time. So as a teacher, I would always give my kids the stories of my dad, of my family, and how we, you know, grew up. And he is an anchor baby. So basically what that means is his mother was pregnant. She was eight months pregnant when she came from Mexico with my grandfather who worked in the Bracero program, which was a program where Mexicans would come and do the field work and get paid and then they would go back. And so she came along with him and my daddy was in her tummy for that time. She was eight months. And so she gave birth to him in Harlingen, Texas at a house through a midwife. And then she registered him through the church. She baptized him, and then the church gave him, like, a document that he was born in Harlingen. So my daddy's always told us a story. So I've always known their story my whole life. He never hid anything from us, never said or never tried to pretend he wasn't anything he wasn't, you know? Like, he worked in the fields with his father. He came from Monterrey to California to work there in the fields also, And so he tells us all the stories of working for Japanese companies and how they, you know, had difficulty communicating. So one thing I knew about my dad was that he was always very open in his story and his life. And nothing was closed. We could ask him basically anything. We could, nothing was ever off topic. There was never a moment where he said, no, I'm not talking about that. Don't ask me about that. I'm never saying, no, everything he would talk about. And so that's one thing that I still carry, you know, in my life with my kids. Like every topic is open. You can ask me about anything. And that's the thing about him. He was one of 12. So he's a middle kid. My daddy's a middle kid. So, you know, he has all of the middle kid (laughs) characteristics too. He doesn't like to push any buttons. He goes with the flow. He's Mr. Middle Kid. And my mom is as well. She's like one of seven. She's the middle middle kid too. And they get along really well. I mean, not they've not always gotten along very well, but they're a really good match. They're super cute and adorable. And so I grew up in a really beautiful, very loving family. Although we were brought up in a really poor neighborhood here in the north side, which is right next to downtown Houston. It was always filled with love and it was always filled with affection. And we always had everything we needed. You know, like they bought their little house. My daddy worked in a factory making aluminum windows. And then he went to work as a maintenance worker for apartments. And she made it happen with his salary and four kids. Most of us went to college as well. So it's really like the American story, the American dream story, right? Yeah, I love that. You know, over the years, I just kept telling my kids, my students, all my stories with my daddy. And one day my daddy was like, why don't you just write it down in a book and just give them a book? Oh my gosh, that is so, so true. So I started writing it in 2003 and I finished it in 2014 because I got pregnant twice and so I left the book for years. My Alex was born in 2003 and then my Max was born in 2007. So I left the book aside, but always in my mind, I wanted to go back to it because I think I thought the stories were meaningful and inspirational and special. And finally, I finished. I finally found a publisher. It took me forever to find a publisher because I just didn't know how to put a book together. I just had all the content. I needed somebody to put it together for me. So that's how my book came about. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you, like when you had a story or an idea that you wanted to include, did you just type it to yourself or write it down? And does yeah. inspiration come and go? Are there, does. Are there things that didn't make the cut? Yeah, so the way that I structured it was in, in stories. And it starts with like my quinceanera, my 15th birthday party, and it's about communication. And so there's a lesson in the book on how to communicate, lesson for dad on how to communicate with his girl. And it's in Spanish and English, so I also translated it. So I had that, editors in Spanish and English. But everything has like my high school graduation. Everything has like a lesson for fathers and daughters and how they can create a good bond and communicate with each other. There's dating stories in here. The first time I traveled abroad and, you know, the stories, you know, that he would say to me, the lessons, the advice he gave me, all of that is in here. I have a lesson on sexuality, the lessons, you know, like I said, he was so open about it. And what's really interesting is that for a lot of Mexican fathers, it's about authority and they're very patriarchal sometimes and they put their foot down. And they say, you're not doing it, you're not doing it, you're not doing it, and that's it, right? And that doesn't work for girls most of the time, especially if you're raising them in the American culture, society. They're going to question you, and they're going to want to know answers. And you can't just get away with, like, that's how it is. I'm your father. Shut up. A lot of my friends left their houses because they were raised in very, very patriarchal homes. And the girls were ambitious. They were driven. They were smart. So my my mom just had a conversation with him one night, and she said, you're going to lose her. You will lose her and she will be gone with the first guy that comes around if you continue to treat her or you try to control her. And he changed a big time, completely changed and like saw something like, you know what? I could be her advocate. I could be her guide. I could be her friend, her protector, or I could be the one that leads her away from me because I'm being so stubborn and obnoxious and just making her be something I want her to be because I'm afraid that she's going to go out into the world and she's going to do something stupid. You know what I'm saying? I guess back then the fear is that you're going to get pregnant or have sex and get pregnant. And then there goes your life because my dad's whole dream for me was for me to go to school, was to get a college education. So that was his dream. And so, you know, fear for him was like, oh, she's going to mess that up if she does something stupid. So that's kind of where that came from. And he changed. He was a completely different guy. Did you ever bring any guys home? Yeah. I did. I did. I had boyfriends and my dad was very open with them and he would make barbecue for them and, you know, just, but, you know, at the same time he was getting to know them, right? Wanting to learn more about them and who they are. And eventually when I was about to get engaged, this is a story that I share with everybody. My daddy was like, you've only known him since high school. You don't even know the world. Why are you getting engaged? You're only 21. You haven't done anything with your life and you're going to settle down. And number two, he's not a college educated boy. You've struggled going to school. You've done everything you can to become something. And he hasn't. Why are you settling for somebody? And I was like, oh, you're right. I am settling. I'm totally settling. And so I broke up with him that night. And that guy chased me for months, came over to my house every single day, trying to get me to get back with him. And my dad would come outside and say, she's not talking to you. She doesn't want anything to do with you. She's, she's done. That was that. And so I'm really grateful that my dad did that for me. And he had that, that moment of clarity with me and say to me, like, you deserve so much more. And you're not giving yourself that value. And that's why the book is important because I always feel like dads give us that, right? Don't you feel like your dad gives you that that validity? I can relate so much to that story you just told yes, because tell me about it. I was engaged to someone that 
my dad wasn't excited about either around the same age. Oh, really? <gasps> yes. I was 21. Yeah, I think I was like 22. Mm -hmm. And no, it was a very volatile relationship. And I think if it wasn't, maybe I wouldn't have cared so much about what my dad said. Like if I really loved the guy, maybe it wouldn't have broke us up. But when it was a volatile relationship and my dad was like, you could do better. Mm -hmm. It was like a combination of those two factors where I really cared about what my dad was saying. So I did end up breaking up that engagement as well, mm -hmm. which had I not, I think I would have ended up divorced. Yeah, no, me too, for sure. <laughs> so yes, having a father who you care about their opinion and you have an open and close relationship with mm -hmm. can steer directions that you make. Yeah. Life directions. Big, big decisions. Yes. But I think they establish that with us by being open and talkative. And that's part of the lesson in the book that I always say, like, number one, be ready to listen first and then pipe in with your opinions or your thoughts. But listen to her and ask her questions. Every time you see her, ask her a question. How are things going? And sit down and actually listen to what she's got to say. So many times they don't even like pay attention to what the girls are going through. Yeah, my dad is still called by me and both of my sisters on the regular. Mm -hmm. And parenting does not stop when your kids leave the house. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's true. That's true. And your parents are still married. My parents are mm -hmm. also still married. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 46 years. No, hold on. I'm 47. 48 years now. Wow. Yeah. That's really beautiful mm -hmm. and amazing. And would you say that their relationship has changed or blossomed or? You know, different stages of their life. It's just, it's different things. Obviously, you know, I remember the harder times when we were little and um, he would lose his job and, you know, not having an education, not having a lot of things to back up on, you know, would, would put a lot of strain on it, on their relationship and their anger. And then my mother's postpartum depression with a baby brother. There were a lot of situations that I still remember to this day. And I remember thinking that they weren't going to make it through because I just saw them be so detached from each other sometimes. And then there would be years where they were very close and they were okay. And then there were years where, you know, she got breast cancer and I thought, you know, this is not going to be good, you know, because he loves to live life and he was her caretaker. You know what? I always thought that he would like lose his patience because things were always happening or that she would lose her patience with him. And they always just sort of hung in there. You know, there was always a deep love that created that for them, for, for, for their relationship. And they still love each other very much. And even today, as they get older, the conversations are like my mom saying, well, what's going to happen if I die before him? And you know, How is he going to be taken care of? And then he cries because he's like, she's not doing well. And if she passes, what am I going to do without her? Like those conversations are the ones that they're having now in their 70s. Those conversations were not happening before they were in their 70s. It's changing now. So beautiful. My mom actually went through breast cancer too. How long has she, has she been a survivor? She might be close to, I think, over 10 years now. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I think that is technically remission, mm -hmm. but her mm -hmm. mom recently went through breast cancer as well. So it's definitely something I need to get screened for. I'm still nursing a three-year-old, so yeah, when that finishes. You definitely need to get checked, yeah. Scary. Yeah, I mean, if there's history, for sure you have to do that. So tell me more about your relationship and how you incorporate your dad into your daily conversations and then obviously into your podcast. Because I love that idea. 
Thank you. I love, love, love that idea. So my dad worked with his parents and ran a manufacturing company. Okay. So he worked in a factory as well for 40 plus years. So that was honestly something that I saw a big part of my life. (laughs) What's interesting is not only did they work together all day long, but then when my dad came home, Mm -hmm. he was talking to my grandparents after work as well. And he's taking care of his mother now. He he has a very close relationship with his parents. And I think that's probably why he himself is such an open communicator. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think having parents that are that way creates parents that are that way too. Mm -hmm. So I really, I I mean, right now I'm selling a house in Chicago still a deal fell through. We just had to switch rentals here in Mm -hmm. in Houston. There is nothing that I can't discuss with my dad. I feel like he's experienced so much in life. He's been an entrepreneur. He's been sued. He's Mm -hmm. taken on consulting work. Mm -hmm. He's taken care of his parents. He's raised three daughters. He's been a loyal husband a loyal father, a loyal son, mm-hmm. all of those dynamics you can learn from. And yeah. and I feel like he had so much wisdom to offer me that I was like, I feel like these things could help other people too. So that was yes. kind of the idea was like, this stuff mm-hmm. is helping me a lot. Maybe it can help others too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it can be kind of a legacy like your book, right? You've had these yeah. great lessons from somebody who you felt was beneficial to society. Right, right. No, absolutely. And I think that's where you and I see the possibilities and the potential of the advice that was given. You see it as an opportunity to share it on the podcast. And I saw it as an opportunity to share it in a book. And eventually I'd love to have him on the podcast too, because he could, he's really funny and just, but he would be so shy because I've told him about the podcast and he's like, what is that? That's radio. I mean, he just doesn't. I'm trying to explain to him what it is, and he just can't wrap his head around it. But anyways, I'll just bring him in and just put these headphones on him just to talk. Yeah, you know, that's that's really interesting, too, because I sent my dad a mic. He's never plugged it in. I sent him the Apple earbuds. He's able to do that. I would like to you know, potentially upgrade our sound or upgrade our equipment. But if that is going to be the holdup, you just have to do what makes him comfortable. And truthfully, I've had other people 65 plus on Mm -hmm, my show mm -hmm. and Zoom has become like the standard in communication for remote recordings that everyone knows how to use. So I literally call my dad on his phone. Mm -hmm. He puts his Apple earbuds (laughs) on and all of the reactions to the interviews I do Uh are recorded that way. And it works. I mean, you can clean up audio a little bit in post-production. And what's been really beautiful to witness Mm -hmm. is how my dad's opening up and how his perspectives are changing and Mm -hmm. his interest and all of the different guests. He listens to them on his own. And then we react to them for the first time together. So I have no idea what the conversation is going to be after the episode that he listens to. Wow. So how did you convince him or did it take any convincing or he was just like up for it? How did you post this idea to him? Yeah. Well, he's always kind of wanted his own show. He's kind of a ham. Like he <laughs> likes the camera. He likes the stage. He's mm-hmm. he's wanted to push me onto the stage and in front of the camera for a while. Oh. So this is right up his alley. It's something that he just loves and enjoys. Does he listen to himself on the episodes? <laughs> no. After after we record it, he's like he's he's done with it. But 
What's also been a really beautiful byproduct Mm -hmm. is people that don't have the relationship that I have with my dad Mm -hmm. or people who have lost their father or people who have a question that they can't ask their dad. When my dad gives them a reaction, Mm -hmm. I've had countless people tell me, I got your dad's approval or I really liked what your dad said or (laughs) what your dad said helped me or I wouldn't have thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. And the messages that I get from people after about my dad's reaction, they're like, I see why you love your dad. Yes. No, I can totally see that when I listen to him. He's He's such a cutie. Do you ever feel guilty for the relationship that you have with him? That is such a good question. And yes, because I do. That's why a lot of times I don't talk about it because I do feel guilty that other people don't have that. Oh that I my have God, that just beautiful, gave me I know. chills. So how do you, okay, so tell me, do you feel guilty for having such a beautiful relationship with him? I do. Mm. Not only because I feel like it could cause jealousy with my own family. Mm-hmm. I think my mom gets annoyed at me doing the reactions and taking away from her time mm-hmm. with my dad. Mm-hmm. And even I think it might make her a little jealous. Mm -hmm. So my mom, my sisters, I mean, they won't even like me saying this, but I I worry about upsetting them with our relationship or making them feel like I'm the favorite, which I am. Mm -hmm. And then, too, like you said, people that don't have that relationship, I think it could even be triggering for people Mm -hmm. where they have daddy issues. And I actually encourage people with daddy issues to reach out to me and they can adopt my dad. And another thing, I I was working on a song, like a theme song for Mm -hmm. my show. And one thing I discovered in creating a song about my podcast is that my relationship with my dad Mm -hmm. could be your relationship with a friend, could be your relationship with God, could be your relationship with yourself. If you don't have a dad Mm -hmm. and a relationship with your dad like we do, Mm -hmm. you can have self-love. You can have friend love. Can have God love. You can have other love. You just need encouragement and somebody who you can turn to to have that kind of relationship with. You're sort of suggesting that they adopt somebody to take on that role. Maybe. Yeah, because sometimes like, when I've promoted the book, I've met moms who don't have husbands. And so it could be that it's their their uncle, their grandfather, and somebody that they're close to that's a male figure. I don't think that it's necessarily people always say, well, you know, you don't necessarily need to have a dad for you to have a good life. No, but I think it's important for us to acknowledge that their presence, their wisdom, their encouragement means a lot to women and means a lot to girls. There's a reason why so many girls go into bad relationships when they have a toxic relationship with their fathers or don't have a father. And that's that's research. That is in, in the documents. It's medical. We're not saying anything that doesn't exist and hasn't been written about. And the reason why I always talk about my book or with people that are fathers, and I always say, you always have that opportunity to change things around and make a connection with your girl. I had a few fathers, I used to do a few speaking engagements, and I had a few fathers, few fathers that said, I've, she doesn't want anything to do with me, she's done with me, you know, my daughter says that, you know, I'm uh, dead to her, and I always say to them, you always have an opportunity to continue reaching out, reach out, reach out, until you finally make a connection with her, and don't give up on it, but you have to approach it in the way that she wants you to approach it. Not in your forceful way, not in the way that you think it should be. Follow her lead, basically. But don't lose that opportunity to actually connect with your girls because some of them were very upset. 
they would cry and say, I don't think I could ever have what you have with your dad. And I said, yeah, you do, you could. You just have to give yourself that opportunity and give her that moment to, I said, maybe you've made mistakes in the past. Maybe you've done things that you thought were what you knew from your own father, your own background, your own childhood. But that doesn't mean you haven't learned anything new. And that doesn't mean things can't be different and change. Oh, I would definitely agree with that. Are there things that have changed in the way that you were raised now that you're raising your own children? Yeah, I think a lot of the things that I've definitely, you know, there was a lot of openness. I was raised in a very open family. It was very loving, but also very open. And we were considered, you know, when the kids had something to say, the kids had something to do. We were considered. We weren't like just thrown off to the side. So that's why I always felt respected and I always felt, you know, very secure in myself and super confident. If if I ever felt like somebody was disrespecting me or ugly or nasty to me, my parents were really clear, My especially my dad, was like, you put people in their place. You do not allow anyone to treat you less than. You, do n- you never allow anybody to treat you like shit. If they come at you, you come right back at them. Like, it was like a very, like, you know, he built my confidence a lot because I was in a toxic relationship. And for a while, it kind of got abusive, mentally abusive, a little bit of physicality, you know, involved. And my dad would always say, you need to stand up for yourself. And you go out there and you put your foot down and you do not allow anybody to treat you any less than. So I always had a lot of confidence in myself because of him or because my mom as well, you know, and the way that we we were raised, you know, we were not, they always said, you, you do not allow anyone, especially not a boy, to make you feel less than. When it was a toxic relationship and I started feeling a lot of those toxic things, I knew what my dad was saying and he was right. I was kind of like falling for it and thinking, oh, you know, this is just how it is and this is how it is. No, it should not just be how it is. I don't have to put up with shit from anybody. No, I don't. Bye. You know, and so I always had that, that in the back of my mind. And I guess now, you know, how I'm raising my kids is a lot like that as well. You said changes. What has changed? I think, you know, generations are just so different. I can't, you know, I just can't. We didn't have phones. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have social media. The kinds of things that our kids are dealing with now, stimuli, YouTube, social, Instagram, girls feeling insecure because of things that they see on Instagram, their self-esteem, boys feeling depressed and lonely because, you know, there's no human connection now. Everything is like online. I have to also kind of learn where my kids are. I'm seeing all of that too. And like you said, I think the best thing we can do is listen and try to support them. And that can be really hard because you want to tell them to do things differently. Sometimes it's really not even about telling them how to navigate. It's just really being a support system. Yeah, it's very hard. Parenting is the hardest thing in the world. It is. It really is. (laughs) It's so hard. And I've had conversations with my parents where I say, did you guys struggle this much with us? (laughs) There were four of us, did you? And my dad goes, yeah, but we forgot about it now. (laughs) He's like, you'll forget it too. (laughs) I'm like, gosh, I feel sometimes like I'm not doing anything right. I'm questioning myself. I'm questioning my parenting. I'm questioning if I'm a good mother, if my boys are getting the best of me, if I'm ignoring. I mean, there's just so much stuff in my head. And my dad and my mom were like, yeah, you guys were the same when you were growing up. We just, you know, tried to do the best we could and you're just doing the best you can. 
So that made me feel better. That made me feel like, you know, it's not just me. Everybody's struggling. Everybody's going through their moments of like, you know, self-doubt a little bit, you know, because once you have kids, it's another, it's, it's a completely different ballgame in terms of like how you handle relationships. You don't want them to do certain things, but you can't be like, nope, don't do that. Because then they're going to be like, why not? Why not? Why not? Why can't I do it? I want to do it. Now I really want to do it. Now mom said, no, I really want to know why she said no. So, ugh. I definitely, I definitely struggle with that. I also am curious, like, did you ever want to be a writer or think you'd be in entertainment and be a podcaster? Like, Mm -mm. what did you think you would do? And tell me a little bit about the podcasting journey. No, for me, so I've always been a teacher. So I always felt like I wanted to teach. And so the podcast was just another way of teaching and inspiring and giving people information and resources. I mentor a lot. I'm always out in the community. I still teach classes whenever I can here in the office. I teach things that I think are important or people want to know about. It's just another way for me to just continue teaching and continue on that path. I taught for a very long time and I probably will go back to teaching one day, but this is just sort of an extension of it, basically. What about you? You know, when I was a little girl, I feel like my family always glamorized Hollywood Mm. and working in entertainment. And so I think that planted a seed. And then I loved music. I loved singing. And Mm. I used to sing and put on little performances for like my parents and grandparents. I would make them sit on the couch and come down with my little boom box and sing over it. (laughs) You mentioned something about you were a producer for reality shows. Was that also part of like you trying to make it in like getting your way into Hollywood or maybe the entertainment industry? Yes. So I auditioned for youth performing arts school in high school. I didn't get in Mm -hmm. on the first try. Mm -hmm. And this was really a big lesson, actually, that my dad taught me was that get a no and turn it into a yes. He went to the head of the music department and he was like, what does she have to do to get in? Mm hmm. And he got me music lessons and piano lessons. And I learned how to read music and I swallowed my pride and I Mm re-auditioned and I got in on the second time Mm -hmm. and I ended up sticking out that program for four years, even though every day I wanted to quit. But Mm -hmm. I was like, my dad went to bat for me Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to let him down, even though I felt like everyone around me was a better singer and a better performer and more meant for the stage. Sometimes if you surround yourself by people of that caliber, it starts to wear off on you. Yeah. And so I stuck it out for four years. I got a singing scholarship to college. Wow. And I went to a smaller school. Truthfully, I just wanted to be wanted. Mm -hmm. And the fact that this college offered me a full ride and I felt like I could be like a big fish in a small pond, Mm -hmm. I went after it. But after being in this very rigorous program for high school and like really pushing myself to try to reached the level of the people around me, that school that I went to wasn't challenging enough. Mm -hmm. I got like a 4-0 and I think I was showing up drunk to class. So (laughs) I transferred to Purdue Okay, and I got a job at a radio station, which Mm -hmm. I absolutely loved. And again, it planted another seed of, I like this medium. Mm -hmm. I like being on the mic. Mm -hmm. I like being in the booth. I like doing interviews. And I started at night, like creating air check tapes and sending them off to different radio stations and got a couple of interviews. One of them was in Chicago at WGN, which was a big station and it was really exciting. And then I didn't get the job. And so while I was up there interviewing Mm -hmm. at that radio station, I saw that Jerry Springer was looking for interns. 
Oh my goodness, Jerry Springer. Yes. <laughs> and serendipity too, because I think had I not experienced that first rejection, I might have just got back in my car and drove back to college. But I was like, hmm, maybe I could work in TV. Mm-hmm. And so I took the flyer down, walked across to NBC Tower, got through security, got an interview with the intern coordinator and started there two weeks later. Wow. And so. And you were coming from Kentucky. I was, yeah, born and raised in Kentucky. Born and raised in Kentucky. Was at Purdue at the time working mm-hmm. at that NPR station and getting ready to graduate. Gotcha. And yeah, I took a job at Jerry Springer as an intern and I worked my way up to a producer, stayed there for two and a half years. Then I moved to L.A. And truthfully, working on the Jerry Springer show was like a training ground for everything I ended up doing. I can imagine. You know, I was managing a big budget, managing a team, (laughs) learning what kinds of stories that as executives would want to bring to the show, how to book a story, all of those things. And it really sparked something in me Mm -hmm. where I just Mm -hmm. loved that world. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I moved to L.A. and didn't know anyone other than my ex-fiance and started all over again. I ended up taking an executive assistant role to three very established producers. They owned their own special effects animation company. Mm-hmm. I've actually had those guys on my show. I still keep in touch with them today. They gave me my first job in L.A. Wow. And now they've gotten they were the producers of Team America they did all the marionette puppets for Team America. And I mean, they've done a zillion things, but they're one of their most recent things was Alien Christmas, mm-hmm. made it to Netflix. And their first big hit was Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which is now being turned into a video game, which is pretty exciting. So I've followed their career for a long time now, and I've had them on my podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. They gave me my start. And truthfully, when I was answering phones and doing accounts payable mm-hmm. and receivable and learning the behind the scenes of the production industry, I was also applying to try to get back into the field and work as a producer. Mm-hmm. Those jobs are much more coveted in L.A. and everybody wants them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I took a field interviewer role. I took associate producer roles, assistant editor roles, post-production supervisor roles, and kind of just figured out what I liked and what I didn't like and pivoted a whole bunch. Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) No, you've done a lot. (laughs) It's been an adventure. And, you know, I just feel like when I was working at Jerry Springer and I was worried about not being able to get booked, Mm -hmm. like, who am I calling? My dad, like, the show is never going to come together. I can't (laughs) get a story. So he's just like been the one that I can always call Mm -hmm. at any level of excitement or frustration or sadness or happiness. And he's happy for me and he cheers me on and he doesn't get off the phone with me Mm -hmm. and he makes me believe that I can do anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the reason why you pursue things with a zest and whether or not they come through for you, you still pursue them. You don't pursue them with like fear because you ultimately know that at the end of the day, somebody believes in you. He does. And you believe in yourself and that belief that he has in you. You don't want to let him down, but you are pursuing all those things because somebody out there believes so much in your talent and who you are and they want the best for you. And so that's why he would encourage you to continue and to pursue and to give you that advice. No, for me, you know, when I'm going through some difficult times, I call him for a laugh so that I let go and laugh a little bit because I won't necessarily tell him what's bothering me because my daddy's like, like he'll take on like my problems and he'll get very upset and he will 
call me every single day and like, how's that problem hand, like handled? But if I call him and I say, you know, I'm just, I'm just very tired right now. I'm just not, he has a joke for me. He has something that's just going to make me laugh. And by the end of that phone call, I'm hanging up and I'm cracking up and I say, okay, Whatever this dumb shit is in my head, it's over. I'm laughing now. I'm okay. I'm going to be fine. But there's moments, you know, not even my husband can do that for me. Like my husband's like a very realistic, practical man. And he would be like, well, this is what you should do. And this is how you can solve that problem. My daddy will try to solve the problem for me. My daddy will be like, well, you know, it is what it is. But you know what? This is happening and this is fucking funny. And you're going to laugh about this. And he brings up stupid shit sometimes. And I'm just cracking up at the end of the phone call and by the time I'm done I'm not so upset anymore I'm not so sad anymore I'm cracking up I'm laughing so I always think when he's not gonna be around I don't know how I'm gonna handle it because I need him he is that person I call when I need a laugh or when I need to let go of something I can be very intense about things and I'm extremely type a and controlling and he knows that about me like, he knows those things about me. So he's like, well, what, Alicia, what are you trying to control now? Alicia, who are you being a bitch to now? What's happening now? Who is the, the culprit? Or like, who, who's the poor victim that you're going after now? <laughs> and by the time he says that, I'm cracking up and like, oh, yeah, it's right. It's true. I am going after somebody. Somebody pissed me off, daddy. And he's like giving it to me like straight up. And then by the time I'm done with the conversation, I'm cracking up. I'm laughing and I'm like, it's right it's just such a dumb thing to be pissed off about isn't it awesome though to <laughs> always have someone who takes your side and loves you anyway yes and he doesn't try to fix things like my husband will try to fix things for me he'll, he'll be like well let's try this or let's try that I just want to talk to somebody sometimes and just like oh I don't want to hear you fixing my my, my life no just, just make me laugh and just make me feel like I'm not so cuckoo and we are so alike. <laughs> Truthfully, we are so alike. It's really interesting. I'm totally type A. I'm very yeah. high energy. I yes. am intense for people and my dad can handle all of it. Yeah. And the funniest thing and the best part, I think, Rena, is that they know that about us. And they're like, okay, what's going on? What's causing all the stress in you, you crazy girl. Like, I will be like, oh, dad, you know, I just like left this meeting and, you know, these people are pissing me off because they're not listening to me. And he's just like, okay, well, what's, you know, he will try to like ask me about the conversation because he doesn't know anything about those kinds of things or my job. He doesn't really like participate in that kind of thing. My daddy doesn't have much of an education. So he really doesn't like go into things in terms of like a meeting or like, you know, try to strategize with me. He won't do that. But what he will do is like, okay, I know you, my daughter. I know how intense you are about things. Can I just suggest something so that you can calm down a little bit and not take things so seriously? You know, you'll be okay. People are going to ultimately listen to you because you're right. You're absolutely right. You're the smartest girl I know. Nobody's as smart as you. Nobody knows things like you do. You're going to, you know, conquer it, whatever it is. And that's it. That's all I need in my, on my phone call. And I'm like... You're right, daddy. I can conquer anything. <laughs> You've definitely got to interview him. I need, I should. He's just, but he will be like, I don't speak English very well. So I'll just be like, just do it in Spanish. I'll figure out how to translate it. I don't know. Yeah, that could out. be a special episode. I think that would be such a cool idea. And it would be interesting too, like seeing how you think he'd respond yeah. versus what he actually says. <laughs> I know. I'm wondering if I should just prepare like these questions for him and just not even know what's the answer. Just pop them in and see what he says. 
And things that you've never asked too. Like you literally could Google like fun questions. Uh (laughs) You know, you could do like a speed round or something or ask him like his opinions on different subject matters that are happening even in the news, like things that you've never talked to him about. Yeah. That could be fun. That is fun because he is a (laughs) gossiper. He watches all the gossip stuff in Spanish. All he knows about who went with who and who's screwing with who and who had a kid with who, like who cheated. I'm like, daddy, how do you keeping up with that? Oh my God. Can I tell you something embarrassing about my dad? I've never shared this, but you know, those pictures of like stars from back in the day and now. My dad loves. Oh, the back in the now. Oh, my God. He loves looking at that. He's like, oh, this one looks horrible. <laughs> that one still looks pretty good. I'm like, dad, this is so inappropriate. I like he's doing like the original Facebook with stars, right? Like rating them like on scales of like one to ten. He's like, oh, that one looks good. So I'm like, this is so weird. That's a good idea, though, Rena. I should do that with him with these. <laughs> to see what he says. He's such a gossiper, though. He loves the gossip. I mean, he is like on those channels, just looking at the stuff like who went with who, like all the artists, all the celebrities. That's cute. (laughs) Too funny. This has been such a good conversation. I loved it, too. I haven't talked about this in a very long time. You brought it up. You kind of brought it back to the forefront. You know, people have always said, hey, I want to meet your parents. I want to know more about your parents. You, like, talk about them all the time. I do talk about them, but not in, like, deep, you know, just say, oh, you know, my parents, my mom was in the hospital, my mom this, or, or, you know, my parents all post photos of them. But never, like, deep into them, into who they are and how they made me who I am, you know? I think it's really beautiful to to show people that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, can you really even truly know a person unless you know where they came from? That's what my grandmother says. Yeah, she's right. Because, you know, when you were mentioning your story, I was interested. I was like, oh, that's very interesting. You you said you were a Jewish family in Kentucky. I was like, wow, (laughs) tell me more about that. So there's stuff that's like in there and like ready to come out, but... People remember that about me. And to be honest, I wasn't even always proud of that because I wanted to fit in and I didn't feel like I ever did. Mm -hmm. I still don't feel like I do. But I do feel like by creating a podcast, like more of your people find you. It's so interesting, the people that reach out and the stories that have come my way that I never even would have looked for. Yeah. And I get texts all the time and conversations come up all the time and they'll say, you know, I listened to this and I had no idea about that or this is an interesting thing. And I think that's the purpose of the podcast is like bringing stories and inspiring and maybe motivating you to reach the next levels and to become even better than you already are. You know, like all of us are in a search or like in a quest. I'm in the quest to always do better, always do better, always do more for myself because I feel like my potential is limitless. I love that. Do you want to write another book? <laughs> I probably want to, but I'm doing like little ebooks now, like little practical ebooks, which by the way, one of them will be about approaching the healthcare system with elderly parents and how to approach hospitals, doctors, pharmaceuticals, because it is a jungle out there when it comes to all of that. And I fight with insurance companies and I fight with doctors, don't want to send recommendations. And I need my mama to get taken care of and I need somebody to, you know, handle things. And, and so I'm writing an ebook, a little practical handbook that people can just download and say, okay, this is how I can approach this situation. This is how I can ask the insurance for this particular part of my parents' health care. A lot of old people get, get taken advantage 
Oh, it really bothers me too. And I just feel like we really need more transparency in healthcare. I don't even want to go to the damn doctor unless I know what I'm going to be charged for before I walk through the door. Exactly. Exactly. So that's part of the handbook I'm writing. Like when you call 911, what happens with that, with those bills, Medicare, I'm going to talk about that. Like, because I think that there's a lot of people like myself that are in the sandwich generation where we're taking care of our parents and our kids and we're lost and it takes a toll on our mental health. It takes a toll on our marriages. It takes a toll on our kids because we're taking care of our parents. And that in itself is is heavy. It's really heavy. And emotionally, it takes a heavy toll. And I'm drained sometimes just from going to hospitals and to visits and to clinics and, you know, listening to my mother cry or my father cry because they're just so frustrated with something and it's unfair. And so... If I can make the process easier for someone else going through that, like for me, that's a win. And that's the teacher in me. I love that. And truthfully, I was on this Twitter space yesterday and I heard a woman say, if you learn something, share it with at least Mm -hmm. one other person. Mm -hmm. I agree with her. I love that mentality. Mm -hmm. How much better could the community be? Even if just told one person something that was useful for you. One thing, one thing that was useful for someone. That's what we do when we podcast, Rena. We're giving somebody something, a little nugget of something that they could use for themselves. And maybe not every episode is for everyone, but there's something for someone. Someone will capture one thing or two things from it. I love that you're doing an ebook on that. That is very necessary. Thank you. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I have a writer that helps me and I just, you know, go through that with her. We were publishing a travel handbook. My husband and I are finishing up and that's a six week checklist travel handbook. And so that's coming out. Anyways, that's soon. That's probably for 2023. Those are things that I'm working on and projects that I'm working on. But it's been so good to have you. Yes. Thank you so much. Do you want to end with anything from your book? Do you want to give them like a little teaser? Hmm. Let's see. (laughs) the tips I give daddy at the end of the book. Let's give my daddy some advice. Oh, are you going to give your dad some advice? Some advice by Alicia (laughs) and her daddy. So this is advice I give. I just call it like homework for dad. So homework for dad. Dad, what are you doing today to connect with your daughter? Today, just today. Dad, are you going to listen more and communicate more? Question mark. Dad, pick a day when you want to share one small story of perseverance with your daughter. Just one story of you persevering through something. And then dad, be the father that isn't afraid to talk about sex and the respect to oneself and one's body. All right, daddy, you got some advice there. (laughs) I'm looking forward to hearing which question you want to answer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this is geared at teen girls, but I guess it applies to everyone. Yeah, I think those are really great questions to think about. Alicia, you you are an amazing host. No, you are. Thank you. You, You're getting me all all riled up now. I'm going to call my daddy right now. I'm like, daddy, I just had the best conversation with somebody else that loves her daddy so much. He's going to be so like, oh, he loves those stories. He loves those stories. Yeah, like honestly, nothing gives me like more pleasure. I've had people say, I want to interview my dad now. And then you can interview me after that interview. I'm like... (laughs) Can I cut in your interview into our interview? Because that could be interesting. Oh, that would be interesting. Do that. Good idea. I'm thinking about it. Do it. Hey, we could do that. Do it. We could do it. Thank you, Rena. Appreciate you. I appreciate you, Alicia. Everyone listen in and let's connect with our dads. Love it. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. 
wow, what a daddy conference with Alicia, where you both, I think, have it right on uh, cue. But you know what comes out of this is that a communication of the father with the daughter, look how important it is. And if you don't handle your communications correctly, or you do it too abruptly, you don't have some type of compassion and sensitivity to your words and your actions, it actually can hinder your communication with your daughter. It's almost where you have to be, encouragement has to be there and, and where you're obviously trying to mentor her. But the fact is, is that you can't talk to a girl the same way that you maybe would talk to a young man or a boy. You really have to have extra sensitivity when you're talking to your daughter. And if you do it wrong, they can have daddy issues and boy issues the rest of their life because they really are following your example of how you treat people, especially the way you treat women or girls. And if you do a bad job and you show a bad example with your actions, that's going to speak louder than your words at times as well. And isn't it just horrible that if you do a bad job, that they end up also with a bad relationship with a man down the road? Yeah, her mom even was worried that at one point the dad was going to maybe lose Alicia if he didn't straighten out. She kind of even mentioned that. Well, that's the thing. We get emotional and we don't want anything to harm our daughters and we want to protect them. But we have to also be careful that we don't set the kind of communication or problem as well. That with the way we're trying to get our message across, that if we do it too abruptly and too forcefully, or or we do it badly, that that can be even worse. I feel like we had so much in common. How crazy was that? Her dad worked in a factory with aluminum. You worked in a factory with aluminum. She had a engagement that fell through. I also did. She wrote a book with her dad. I, just, I started a podcast with mine. So interesting. Right. And uh, her mom has got had breast cancer and your mom had breast cancer. There's a lot of a lot of similarity of adversities that had to be overcome. Another really wonderful thing that came out of it, and we've we've mentioned this before, but your podcast or writing a book is a way of not necessarily doing anything different. It's just another tool of communication. It's another possibility of getting yourself out there and for you to learn and for other people to learn. It's really a better communication tool more than anything else. And that she doesn't have to change her life. She's just using whether she's writing books or doing a podcast to get her message across better and to put herself out there where she's looking to be able to voice her opinion and hopefully share her ideas, share her opinions with other people where hopefully they can also have that same type of relationship that she has with her dad. She's hoping that by sharing that, that other people can maybe improve their relationships as well with their dad and with other people. Isn't that our legacy as well? Aren't we trying to do the same thing? We want to be able to share our ideals, be able to share our ideas, be able to be open and listen to other people, and be able to see if we can all gain knowledge and wisdom out of it. I also thought it was interesting that she asked if I felt guilty about our relationship and that she felt some guilt about their special relationship. Wasn't that interesting that she asked, that she felt that too? Well, I think we've discussed before that I always felt extra love from whether it was my grandparents, even Maureen's grandparents, or with people that were close to me. They always seemed to favor, want me on their team, 
were extra nice to me. I, I had so many people that were crazy about me and loved me. And through all the different generations that I've been involved with, isn't that the key to really being able to make it in this world with all the ups and downs is that you need encouragement, but you need love. Love has to be a part of this equation. And people that are lacking in that or don't have the same degree of it, I don't think we should feel guilty about it. I think what we have to do is try to have other people be able to reach out, as you were saying, and be able to find it. And there are many ways to find love out there. There are many different types of love and passions out there of things that we can do with our lives. But doing nothing, hiding under the covers, complaining, whining, and not doing something to come up with a plan of how we can better ourselves is, is unfortunate for some people where they can't seem to get out of that circle or that, or I call it that hamster wheel, you know, where they just go round and round and round and round and don't know how to escape their situation. And it can be very depressing if you're not feeling well or if you're sick or, or you feel like you're in a box and you can't get out of it. That's why we have to be open-minded and we have to always be able to reach for the stars. That's nice to have somebody in your corner always that can help get you a jet plane or a rocket ship out of your situation. And we all need that. Well, thanks for always making me feel like you're going to send me a rocket plane. You're right. And uh, send me one back. <laughs> I want to go to the stars with you. All right, deal. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 